Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. I think what comes to the fore in these situations is that it's, it's very much utilitarian views. Um, we might, we were trying to get the greatest good for the greatest number of people. Um, and be, with that, we need to make different choices, um, to be able to change our, our behavior. And some of them are quite dramatic and can be even in, in on the surface. It might look like it's okay, just work for, you know, you've got a computer, you've got a connection, work from home and talk to people and get your work done. Um, it might feel big for the individual. Those are the wise words of Simon Fivel, Director of Consulting at Social Ventures Australia. Simon is also the Chair of Simna Limited and Social Value International. So I've made the deliberate choice in the past few weeks not to talk about COVID-19, given the news, gossip and information saturation across all mediums. I've tried as much as possible to keep humans of purpose an oasis of calm in a desert of corona chaos. But as things have escalated and all areas of our lives are now seemingly impacted, I thought it a good time to have an open and honest conversation with my friend and mentor, Simon, on COVID-19. Neither Simon nor I are experts on COVID-19, but Simon has an amazing ability to analyse and discuss the ethics and system-wide impacts of complex situations. So given how interrupted our usual lives have been, we thought it a good time to flesh out some of our thinking. We talk about the effect that corona is having on us, our work, relationships, communities, and how we are thinking about it and shaping our behaviours accordingly. We also talk about the unintended consequences, both positive and negative, that are happening and we might expect to see in future. For more background on Simon, check out our previous two episodes that we've recorded together. I wouldn't be in a position to make this podcast each week without the support of our wonderful Patreon supporter family including Rich, Tanvir, Lucia, Judy, Jules, Sally, McCartan, Stuart, Joel, Misha Times 2, Bonnie, Olivia, Lyndon, Joe, B, and Will. Our Patreon family helped me shape the direction of the podcast through their advice, ideas, guest referrals, and ongoing feedback. If you want to support the growth of Humans of Purpose, I encourage you to join our Patreon community. By supporting me to make Humans of Purpose, you're supporting independent and local content production in the form of conversations about the things that matter most. To support us, just hit the link in our show notes or head to patreon.com slash humans of purpose. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Simon as much as we both did. So Simon, terrific to have you back here uh, under somewhat dubious circumstances, but it's never a bad time for a single malt whiskey with Mr. Fievel. Uh, it's good to be back. It's third time, isn't third it? Third time. Our, you're our longest serving um, guest on the show. So and, our, and most welcomed back guest by popular demand, but also by Mike Davis demand. <laughs> Fabulous. And you live around the corner, which is also very convenient. I love that. Makes some things easier in life, isn't it? hundred percent. Beautiful. Great to reconnect. So we were just talking a bit that we might um, have a bit of a chat about the whole COVID situation. Yeah. I've been reluctant to touch it, um, probably because I felt that there are so many other voices in the space talking about the COVID stuff, uh, whether... Um, accurately or disingenuously, then maybe I'd stay out of it. But now that I feel like, you know, you and I together, let's flesh it out a little bit and talk about our feelings. That's a good place to start. Mm. It's There's lots out there at the moment. Mm. It's noisy. It's constant. 
and trying to work out what to do, how to make sense of it, uh, we can explore that because after all, we are just two other people trying to work it out. So We're two um, social impact measurement network people. Uh, You've been a consultant in the space for a long time and I should just say, guess if they want to know a bit more about Simon, there's uh, ample opportunity in the podcast directory to check out his earlier work which is some of his finest work, I'm told. No, thank you very much. <laughs> but um, needless to say, you've been a practitioner in the social impact space for a long time. You're the chair at Simna. Um, you do lots of in- incredible, fabulous things. How tuned in have you been to the whole COVID stuff? Are you kind of watching the news obsessively? Are you just water cooler conversation? Well, there's no more water coolers. Uh, <laughs> everyone's true, at home. Yeah. Uh, tuned in in the sense of trying to work out what to do and how to respond because it impacts life directly every day all the time and uh and and also tuned in because it's had an impact right across all the organizations communities that i'm i'm working in so Um, as well as well as business impacts oh and i think that's so it's hard not to this is big at the moment. What's interesting, I think it's interesting to get the SVA perspective um, just because, and not just the SVA perspective, but as a perspective given that there's so many stakeholders involved and you really do get a feel for that whole systems-wide impact. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of moving parts um, and a lot of things that need to kind of be, um, you know, set to the, to the uh, recalibrated in a way to sort of fit the um, times. Yeah, and I think it's... Being it's, it's new, and so things are changing fast. And as I reflect on even a week ago at this time, there were still questions about around what do we need to do? Mm. Is it real? Yeah. So I mean, I'd probably argue that the depth of thought at the moment about the impacts and what that means hasn't yet got to a stage of sophistication and appreciation of where it might go. It's true. It's been a time of beginning to adjust and the panic and fear uh, taking over. You just need to make a trip down Glen Huntley Road to Coles Elstonwick to see the the true state of humanity um, at our present moment. Yeah, and it's it's uh, we've generally had time of abundance in Australia, both in terms of the stuff that we can get at any point in time, as well as opportunities for work and security. And it's just tipping slightly to... What if that's going to be different? And that's shifted dramatically over the last week. Uh, so I think it's early to be able to say what's a particularly systematic response. At the moment, there's some posturing and positioning with some statements, which mm-hmm. are helpful. Mm-hmm. So we can remind ourselves that we do need to move fast in this. But the depth of thinking around what we do and how we respond isn't isn't in play. Well, I think you nailed it. And I think there's a lot of surface panic and the depth of thinking isn't quite there. And um, I'm not sure if you, you're anything like me with your email folders, but I'm getting an email from every business that's ever had me on their database yeah. um, just hammering me with their COVID response, to which I have very little interest, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like it's hard to sort of see – you know, how evidence-based are these statements? Are they just posturing as well? Are they adding to yeah. the noise or are they cutting through the noise? It's – and it's – in a time of fear, people need to express. Yep. People need to express that they care, that they want to change, and they also just pragmatically want to protect what they've got. And so that's the moment that we're in at the moment, and it's very real right across the board. 
And it's I had had a moment today which was quite quite revealing. Finishing off a project and on the on Zoom, uh, on video conferencing. What a way to wrap up a project! It's so unromantic. <laughs> it, it is. It is. But that, that's okay. I'm, they were up in Sydney, and when we started the project, though, uh, it was the time of the the fires, the earlier stage of the the fires in um, around Sydney, and the smoke was sort of permeating uh, the the city, sort of shrouded in smoke. It was a time when uh, Sydney ciders were staying indoors, and respiratory problems were getting bad. We're now at a point not that long, not, not, not many months after, mm. where we've got something else which feels like there's a need for. Oh, it's yeah, it's um, unbelievable. It's like a bombardment of pandemic type events or public hazards. Mm. And I, I was relating to someone in my office today. I did go into the office for a bit. There's still skeleton staff around, and it's sort of like a, a western where like tumbleweed rolls past. And mm. go, oh, it's another human. We're still you know coexisting in the same space. Yeah, and we we're just talking about how this is. Better Bad, but at least you can go outside and at least you can get the, the respite of a, a walk to another shop or yeah. a run outside. Yeah. Whereas you couldn't do that with the bushfire stuff, which was very challenging, I, I felt. And not long ago. Mm. And I think we're just in regards to that depth of thinking about responses, it's, a, it's sort of a shame now that we've got this and it's drawn attention away from many of the things that that mattered a hell of a lot and will require massive efforts in terms of recovery um, across across our country. Yeah. And I think I think there's also that interesting pivot from what was relatively recently about abundance thinking and how can we do as much as possible to improve our country and help our vulnerable communities to that panic kind of scarcity thinking. So constrained resources, um, not enough resources to mobilise a response effectively mm, um, mm. and everything's just sort of cut back. It's, it is a shift that's happening very fast as well. Like even in the bushfire time within the places that weren't on fire, there was abundance and it was a matter of how do we help and support those who don't have. And so that's with that extraordinary amount of giving money that occurred uh, in particular at the time now it's not going to be the same game the amount of money that people have will be necessarily less as we look into the next six months the inevitable economic downturn and where that might where that might head it's all all the signs are pointing towards that things can change but the the signs are pretty strong at the moment so yeah, where where I think this is at is just that appreciation of how everything is interconnected yes. and it just has splayed right across the, the world. Well, let's talk ways. about that because I, I think touching on interconnectedness, I think there – I don't want to go as, so far as to say there's a silver lining in all of this, but there is something interesting about the whole world being put in the same position um, regardless of class, um, gender, identity, politics, mm. race. Um, do you think there's any sort of credence to that or is there anything to make of that um, as a moment in time where people are kind of brought together by a global circumstance? So part of part of what I've been uh, reflecting on is it's almost speciesism. So you know, we, we are forced because of something else, a virus that could hurt, kill many of us, uh, to 
rally together, to rally together and be able to work out what to do. It brings out some of the selfishness and individualism and also it brings out at times the need for us to try to do what we can collectively, globally, to be able to protect as many as possible. So I think there, there's, there's something there. I, I, um, I'm, I'm curious as to how, how when things could get worse, where things do go. It, we haven't had in Australia for a long time anything that sort of has resembled this scale right across the board. Mm. The GFC was a, was a bit of a blip. Uh, going back even to the early 90s recession, uh, that, was, that was a time of a level of scarcity, but not to the same degree as this. And if you expand that globally and how everyone's working together, there's, it feels like there is this need for us to be able to do things differently and approach it for humanity's sake. Um, it, may, it may not be that, that big if we look in six months or a year's time. So it may be one of those amazing blips on the, on the, on the radar of human existence. Um, but it, 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 it's at that point right now, and maybe this is the difficulty in trying to fathom what's going on, is when you're in it, it's harder to step back out and see what, what is going on. Um, I'm, I'm just reminded always when bad things begin to happen that we've had effectively mutually assured destruction for over 50 years. Yeah. And so somehow we've got some uh, narcissistic, egotist, uh, egotistical types uh, who have their finger on the buttons yet somehow we're still here and that still baffles me. And I think that's the appreciation that we can try to intellectualize and understand what's going on and how the systems may be working into playing, but there's just so much going on that we really don't know. <laughs> we don't know. And I guess I'm interested whether this type of um, fatalistic uh, global event will lead to more cooperation, but mm. also some constrained innovation. So the type of innovation that's really interesting that you see where there's scarcity, uh, where, it, where it sort of takes that creativity um, and, you know, you've got these collective solutions that are really interesting. Yeah. So I, I kind of... That's my optimism or hope is that we do see a bit more kind of hmm, what can we learn from what's happening over here that's worked really well or we see that, you know, in America they're already starting to talk about implementing UBI-like measures, um, which might not have happened otherwise, a quite an interesting systems response to a crisis. And a response that had to occur very fast. Yeah. And I think there's a, a logic here of for, for many of us trying to, share ideas and it's difficult to see sometimes that direct relationship between the idea and how it might change something. But when things go awry, uh, lo and behold, whatever you've got in front of someone's consciousness can then help to be able to make it, make it real. So I think that's an interesting observation around the UBI, universal basic income type of uh, occurrence through the bills in the States over the last couple of days. Yeah, really? it is interesting. So that was one thing that's caught my interest of late. Another thing that's particularly interesting that I heard on a recent Freakonomics podcast um, was assessing the the environmental benefits that have happened in China as a result of closing all the smelting factories yeah. um, because of the containment of the COVID 
focus. So there's a calculation done that said that um, over the, the coming year, 50,000 Chinese lives will be saved um, as a result of the smog clearing uh, from the Chinese horizon, as opposed to a couple of thousand people in China will probably die because of coronavirus. It's fascinating, isn't it? It, it is just mind-blowing. And it kind of what I, I enjoy about a crisis, like enjoy is the wrong word, but what I, what I like to fathom in a crisis like this is what does it make it real, us realise about what, what isn't working well in our system? Because um, a crisis sort of pushes uh, on, on, on every pressure point and bends sort of the matter of um, what a good system does maybe. And a crisis pushes the forced ethical decisions. So often ethical decisions around climate change, the environment, and things that take a bit longer and aren't as direct, it's it's harder to sort of fathom, oh, okay, well, if I change this behaviour, then it might save X number of people. Or if I don't do this, then suddenly you know, Y number of people have saved. With uh, COVID-19, what we've got is a situation where it's very real for systems to be overloaded and bloody hard ethical choices around who will live, who will die are taking place in places like Italy right now. Mm. And if we're unable to flatten the curve here over time, then it's it, it's going to be the same situation of uh, making very difficult ethical choices. And if we can learn from that what that means for some of the bigger, more systematic changes that are happening to our planet and how we can account for that in a better way and be able to work out what the differences make and have longer time horizons, I think, for understanding where those choices uh, have consequences, that's going to be huge. That's a very different way of uh, thinking for humans, as we sort of touched on. We're responding to the immediate. We're responding with panic. We're responding to get extra rolls of toilet paper. We're responding to stock up on pasta, even though we've got enough food in Oz to last us a while and the supply it's, chains it's are working so, fine. It's so bizarre. I mean, the response, I mean, it's, you know, you've got the obvious um, uh, parallel where you say, if an, alien, if an alien dropped down from this from the universe and saw humans clearing out supermarkets of toilet paper when there was a crisis that wasn't directly having any effect on toilet paper supply, what would they think? But what would, what would an Indian person seeing what's happening in Australia think, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. just it, it, it is it's that sense of control, it's that sense of being able to uh, in each individual's mind rationally respond to a different situation. It's quite Maslovian, isn't it? Where you sort of say, look, what do I need to be safe? I need to wipe my butt when I need to, and I need pasta. Yeah. Um <laughs> so I, I, and then this is where I I actually think that we we're not we're not at that point of the with no. with, with the Maslow world and looking at the hierarchy and true, true, in inverted commas, uh, panic. What, what this is a sign of is, is people acting in their rational interests, sometimes or most of the time unconsciously, and possibly the taboo around, you know, wiping your bum. Like if you ran out of toilet paper out of all the things in the world, you could probably go hungry for a day or two, but wiping your bum, whew, like you need so, It's so paper. weird. I mean, so, you know, it's, I find that one to be bizarre. So like when you think about um, – how like it's a sensibility essentially or just a custom or a habit it's not nourishing you it's it's it strikes me as a, a kind of odd one yeah I can, and, and, and look picking up on that because i think this sort of ties into 
uh, a lot a lot of a lot of my work world and just trying to understand people and tell stories about why people do what they do make decisions why certain interventions have positive effects on people or not and and there's just so much at play in how people deliberate how they choose and and make and make decisions around uh, how they respond to certain situations um, and in times of panic uh, I think it gets an interesting question I almost dismiss what I said before about it being a rational decision. Maybe there's not much rationality there. There's some deep-seated uh, underlying... Uh, I, I think um, too many people are watching Doomsday Preppers, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I can see the next stage of this being people, and I hear this is already happening, where people are buying additional freezers, buying additional um, storage mechanisms. And then I think the next stage is, are people going to build, like, um, bunkers in their backyards because this is mm. big in the US at the moment. These having an offsite kind of um, get out of jail free kind of coin, where yeah. you have like a room in like a mountain contained complex in in a secluded area or like a former bunker, mm. and if, mm. if shit really goes down, you just say, "Look, here's my coin. Uh, admit one and my family. I'm good See, because I have money." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's it's. It's, I'm, I'm curious, you know, because we're at we're at a point now where in Australia the virus has not spread too far. It's there's fairly significant efforts to try to control it. There's it's, it, there's been few deaths. There's not many so not many. far. It's like 120 um, in Victoria or something. I think that's cases as opposed to oh yeah, so yeah. cases. So that's it's cases. it's really yeah. not not a couple of deaths. There's there is less the fear. than five. So we're, we are at a point where yeah, things could change dramatically mm. soon. And I'm very curious as we look back six months, a year's time, how we responded. We're already getting some of the stories of how different countries, the, the, the Taiwan, Taiwans, the Singapores, um, have responded in a way that has contained things mm. um, and places where it hasn't. Yeah. And it's also at the tip of the iceberg for a lot of, of those places where things are starting to go pretty bad. Mm. So, yeah. I find it very interesting, like, even looking at systems of government and how certain countries are able to respond. Like, mm-hmm. everyone's praising China and how well they're doing it, containing it. I mean, China clicks the fingers and everyone has to stay in their house for a certain period. And, um, you know, you don't think much about it, but the the analysis they've done of what's happening in China is that family violence has skyrocketed. Yeah, uh, and we don't, you know, th- these are the interesting things that we'll have to learn from something like this when you really curtail people's uh, freedom and rights for some kind of disaster. What are the kind of unanticipated effects of that? It's we we are we are complex beasts. Each person is capable of doing lots of amazing things mm. and lots of really shit things. Mm. Uh, when we do put different constraints on on people, we are likely to see some pretty unpredictable consequences. Yeah. And I think that's where the interplay of many complex systems comes in. Are you one to indulge in um, in uh, watching of films related to pandemics and viruses, like just to sort of see how they play that narrative out? I, I haven't, but I appreciate it. Okay. I'm I'm being given a few suggestions over the last week of what I really so should. So people you know are talking about that as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I think it's just getting into the right headspace. Um, 
when there's a bit of a breathing moment, yep. I think that will be where my well, watching eye goes. The trick is to um, do it without panic and just do it out of curiosity. And I, yeah. I think that's the that's the exercise is to sort of say how much how closely does art match kind of reality yeah. right now? And yeah, it's um well you know unfortunately so many artists musicians are going. And quiet, uh, unable to gather and perform and share. Um, so finding different means of doing that—it's it's a pretty, pretty tough one. But yes, it could be. It could be. What's well, um? Yeah, it's ruined my year's planning schedule because I get very jacked about the AFL season. <laughs> Premier League's cancelled for the moment. Yeah. Um, no crowds at the footy. Comedy festivals off. Um, and then the Melbourne International Film Festivals also up in the air. So I am very much at loose ends about what I can bank on calendar-wise that's coming up. Yeah. It's challenging. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because I know over some of, the, some of the podcasts that you've done over time, there's always a underlying question about balance and being slow and taking time. And part of what's going to be massive over the next six months, year, is how the world necessarily slows down now for some of us that's coming from a privileged position where we've got enough and we don't need to worry so we the trauma is around oh my god i can't go out and do things um the slowing down for others will be will be painful um if they don't have uh work they don't have uh savings uh in play to be able to to ride through the the difficult wave but it is a different way of being and i think it's going to be fascinating how we adjust to some of that being do, doing less um I, I mean i i'm just trying to work through uh options for the the weekend with one of my daughters of where to go and it just clicked before um or i sort of shared that some of the parks you know, national parks are closed really um because of gatherings of number of people oh, so man. there's there, there's some things that i take for granted as mm. part of like that slow escape that may not be possible so it's going to be a really interesting shift um, across the board for those in those more privileged positions and a bloody difficult um, time of slowing down and hopefully having enough for those who are in more difficult situations with already the shifts that are happening and the, the closing down of businesses um, as, we, as we speak. Well said. And I think a, a challenge too is just the, the push towards social distancing can cut really against the grain for many people who need that social contact. Uh, I'm not just talking about the vulnerable, I'm talking about me. Um, you know, like I, I'm a very, I'm a person who thrives being around other people as much as possible. Uh, I do like my downtime too, but um, I'm yeah. finding it really challenging to be told to work from home basically yeah. um, and we'll be doing everything by Zoom and phone calls. I I can't stand Zoom or phone calls. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's yeah. – uh, well, I love our similar meetings, of course. That goes without saying. But generally speaking, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a face-to-face person and it's, you know – I guess it's a bit of a privilege rant that I'm having at the moment, but I do feel as though we are not thinking much about the drop in well-being or the the mental health kind of sacrifices that are going to be part of this social distancing package. So it becomes a relatively straightforward equation, though, in some respects, which Mm. is if we don't do that and it spreads, then more people will die. So it becomes this rather clear trade-off of, aspects of well-being and working out what the right supports may be around that versus mm. 
very big potential downside for a mm. lot for a lot of people. Mm. It's very well ethically balanced of you. And it's uh, yeah, it was one of, one, of, one of my colleagues sort of raised that I think what comes to the fore in these situations is that it's it's very much utilitarian views. Um, we might we were trying to get the greatest good for the greatest number of people, mm. um, and be, with that we need to make different choices. Um, to be able to change our our behaviour, and some of them are quite dramatic, and can be even in, in, on the surface, it might look like it's okay. Just work from you know, you got a computer, you got a connection, work from home, and talk to people and get your work done. Um, it might feel big for the individual, but then there's the view across society, and to your question earlier, sort of around the global impact of mm. this, like with airlines crashing. Um, Collapsing uh, jobs being lost in in the in the airline industry and tourism industry. Uh, it, that's the link up of the systems and understanding mm. that that's potentially something necessary uh, to be able to save people's lives. Yeah, I think I heard uh, Morrison say today eighty percent of new cases are coming from exposure overseas brought into the country, which is why he's sort of closed from tomorrow night um, arrivals into Oz. But it does seem very apocalyptic to close the borders. You see, I've had a bit relatively busy day. I wasn't aware of that one. There you go. Yeah. So learning things is there. Sorry, happening. I said it as a matter of fact. Yeah, and it is a fact. Um, but yeah, clearly. Uh, and so, you know, one of, one of your earlier questions was about trying to keep up with what's going on. There's, yep. it, it, it's feeling quite overwhelming, and I think it's going to continue to understand what's changing and how that's changing uh, on on a daily basis. <laughs> how have you sort of changed your own mindset and behaviours, sort of since? This has all happened or? So I think mindsets and behaviours and changes, there's little tactical things mm. I'm trying to do, but they're fairly inconsequential at the moment. This is something that will change things over time and for me will probably change things over time as well. So I'm, I'm, I think it's too early. Uh, it's only been a few days, really. Uh, I was reflecting on the fact of one week ago and it wasn't normal, but I was still in the city I was still talking to people and it was a sense of something's going to change, mm. but that was seven days ago. Yeah. And in terms of my relatively long life so far, um, which hopefully will go for a lot longer, uh, it's it's not very much. And even if I look across the year and the changes that are occurring, it's like, okay, there's going to be some big differences and behavior is going to have to change significantly. And that comes through, all the things you've touched on around different social gatherings mm. and things that I think are sacred and important yeah. that will fundamentally shift or, you know, week 19 when I'm at home talking to my colleagues again um, and, you know, had a chance to see one of them from a distance uh, but, you know, not being able to to do that in a, in a more fundamental way where I'm there like dead in the eye working together. So I think that's that's going to be when it really kicks in for habits. Right now it's at the very beginning and so I haven't felt like there's been big shifts. The other big thing and personally in my life will be schools and what actually happens at the moment, the schools are still open. Yeah. When that begins to shift, then it's a whole different game. Yeah, that'll be a real game changer. I'll tell you a couple of things that have changed with me or sort yeah. of my, my own thinking and behaviours. I have these really awkward moments now where if someone comes to my door for, for a podcast or I see someone I know, 
you have this moment where it's like in a Western where you've kind of got both your hands down about to be in the holsters, you look at each other and it's like, what's this other person going to do? Are they going to extend the hand? Will they just nod? And like, yeah. and, and it's kind of like just some of that social gesturing around the awkward yeah. situation. Do you ask people whether they're comfortable to shake hands or hug? Do you yeah. just go in for it? I mean, I don't think you can do that. But yeah. um, all this stuff is very new. Yeah. These social interaction cues around contact that we used to take for granted as rituals yeah, and now kind of all um, questionable. So what, what's getting interesting right across the board are rituals mm. and around religion, for example, and the closing of churches, mosques, shuls at the moment. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to have a big impact on people's lives. Um, it's not a place that I go, but I can appreciate that is a, a marker in people's weeks um, to be able to have those moments. Um, otherwise, it can actually feel like life is just sort of pummeled along. And so those are really important rituals and markers. And I'm just sort of looking looking ahead for, you know, Easter time and, and Passover for, for Jews. Uh, it's it's going to be fascinating just planning my own own Passover and the, yeah. the Seder night is like, well, do we have it or not? Do you do it via Zoom? That would be very yeah. awkward. Well, some wouldn't do it as well some via Zoom not, yeah, because it's correct, not correct. not possible to use technology on that day. So I'm I think not there's a very good Jew. <laughs> there's, some, there's some really interesting questions that come up now about how far you go to keep what's sacred and also with um, older family members, Risks. like whether you go and see them at all or not. Yeah. And I th- so and they're I the things that are changing that's immediately. That's stuff that is all frequent conversation in our family and even impacts what we were doing on Friday nights where we right. normally go to Lou's family or my family for dinner. Um, we've got some 90-plus, uh, uh, what do they call it, uh, nanogenarians or yeah. is that the word? It sounds Something logical. Like yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a couple of them who are really like pushing late 90s and wow. – you know, do you want to kind of risk potentially being the one who kind of, you know, makes that a bit riskier for them? Um, All in the name of maintaining a ritual, which does give you and your family a lot of social um, value, purpose and meaning. Mm. So this is actually a really, really complex question. And I hadn't thought about your point, actually, that even though I don't attend any religious institutions um, and – you know, far less Australians do now than did maybe a decade ago. There's still many who do. And for them, not having that will, will cause significant um, detriment. The, the direct one you highlighted for yourself mm. is mm. the footy season. And tonight is the first game of yeah. the um, AFL without a crowd. Yeah. Now, I don't follow footy, but I can appreciate that it is a religion for many. And yeah. having the ceremonial gathering at the MCG with tens of thousands of other people. You know what they call it tonight? They call it the, uh, the, the ritual sacrifice of Carlton in, because they always play <laughs> Richmond in round one. So. It's, it's been about 25 years, has it yeah, been? Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a big shift. And I think they're the things that become anchors in people's lives and without that, it's going to feel very different. But then we have to adapt and we will adapt. And there have been over hundreds of years different ways that we've had to adapt because of all sorts of crazy shit that's gone down. Absolutely. So Absolutely. You know, if it's not, not able to go, to go to church, go to shul, go to the footy, uh, then okay. So is your self-management plan then to just – some of the things you touched on earlier to do more of the quiet things, do more of the reflective things, do some things that give you that kind of uh, meaning and, and 
and benefit that you can do sort of in your own space? Is that part of it? To say that I have a self-management plan is just grossly incorrect. Um, <laughs> but my, my self-management plan is probably to make sure that I sleep enough. Yeah. And my life has generally been very full, as I think we've touched on uh, before. Guy. It's just always lots going on. So I'm, I, I think that relative to others who have uh, a few things that are big anchors in their world, I probably am at least risk to try to manage yep. some of that yep. differently. That's um, very fair. I've, I've got, there'll be some beautiful moments that I won't be able to have, uh, you know, looking at, for example, a, a concert tomorrow night that I won't be able to go to because it's cancelled. Who are you going to see? <laughs> Neb Livascaris. It's a Melbourne band, wonderful, wonderful nice. metal band. Yeah. Um, but, you know, concert cancelled. Yeah. So, you know, lo, lo and behold, there's going to be a few moments like that. It'd be where- a good time to have a band that has less than 10 fans. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 this is where you, you touched on the innovation and the opportunity for how we can try to can make sure that people are experiencing better well-being in this climate, and finding ways of being able to share or do things differently, and everyone adjusting to that. Uh, the num- the number of conversations already had around different opportunities to learn online and what that might look like. Um, so lots of events. Lots of conferences, training have been cancelled uh, and, and will continue to be cancelled. And so it's a question of how do we adapt to learn online. And it's not a new thing. We've had it for a while, but on a, on a grand scale, mm. people now have a mindset that they have to do that. So we have to work out ways of, of adapting. I think that's what's going to come through uh, in, in lots of different climates, in lots of different ways of how people can relate to each other, how they can spend time. We need. We have always adapted. We have always changed, mm. and this will be the time to continue to to do that. So, people's self management plans will have to uh, take into account not what's familiar, but rather how they can have the mindset to change and to adapt to what's going on. Uh, we we haven't. You know, we're still at the very early stages of what could be a very different world, both uh, in terms of what people's what people can do for work the amount of work that's available, the amount of abundance that might be there. And we're at that, that precipice right now. It could be very different. So we've got to get our minds ready. So self-management plans need to be around our mindset and being able to think differently about how we get different positive experiences and maintain a semblance of balance and well-being in this perplexing existence. It's extremely well said and um, only you could turn what we both thought was going to be a very morose topic in conversation into something very uplifting and generally quite um, positive in terms of what we can do. That's that's great. I'm feeling it's coming through, I think, a few of my colleagues at work that it's, uh, it, is, it is a tough time. So I'm glad that coming through in something a bit more positive right now. You're a beacon um, of uh, positive energy, Simon. Whew, so I'll, I'll, I'll grab that. I'll grab that and run. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for coming in and having a chat. I think we've, we've covered off really nicely on what's a tough topic. Um, how can people, if they want to connect with you and touch base or learn a bit more about your work, where can they go to do that? Sure. Look, it's I, I'm, I'm lucky to work with amazing people and – the best places to go to have a look at the work that I'm involved in is my my employer, Social Ventures Australia. So looking up Social Ventures Australia, tracking us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and our websites, 
definitely the place to go um, as well as Facebook. Uh, and and also I, I chair SIMNA, the Social Impact Measurement Network of Australia, so simna.com.au. Uh, and likewise, I co-chair Social Value International. And so all of those organisations, all beginning with the social, uh, they're, they're places to track uh, what I'm involved in and, yeah, what I'm, what I'm passionate about. Terrific. Well, uh, thanks for dropping in. It's always a pleasure to spend some time with you. Thank you, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.